Hello, welcome to Hear Her Sports, the podcast of long-form, intimate profiles of female athletes breaking boundaries, speaking up, and living with power and confidence. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Coach Muffet McGraw, the longtime coach of Notre Dame's women's basketball team. Truth be told, I have a bit of a fangirl thing going on. Of course, Coach McGraw's viral response to being asked about women in leadership at a 2019 Women's Final Four press conference is spectacular. You can find the link to that in the show notes, and if you haven't heard it yet, please check it out. But she's also a model of speaking up, taking real action where it counts, and encouraging others to do the same. Prepping for our conversation, I was struck by so many of the truly significant things she accomplished in her coaching career. One that stood out for me was the work she did early on in her time at Notre Dame to increase attendance at home games. Even though at that point the team wasn't the powerhouse it became, she knew how vital school support and attendance numbers were for the players, the school, and sports gender equality. One of my takeaways from our conversation was how utterly optimistic Coach McGraw is about the future, how strong and willing to take up the fight the current generation is. This was good for me to hear, given my somewhat hopeless response to the NCAA weight room crap that happened during the March basketball tournaments. As another takeaway, I encourage all of you to practice using your voice as Coach McGraw had her players do. An easy start could be sending me your thoughts about this episode or any others, or what athlete you would like to hear from on a new episode. Write to Elizabeth at hearhersports.com. I look forward to your notes. To get us started with today's show, let me introduce Muffet McGraw. The legendary Muffet McGraw patrolled the sidelines as the Notre Dame women's basketball head coach for 33 seasons. In two of those seasons, 2001 and 2018, she won the national championship trophy, becoming the sixth women's basketball head coach to win multiple NCAA titles. McGraw was the 13th female coach inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in 2017. She was also inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2011 and the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame in 2014. Coach McGraw's career included an impressive 936 career wins, which ranks sixth all-time among Division I coaches. 848 of those wins were at Notre Dame, where she led the Irish to seven NCAA title game appearances, including six in her last decade of coaching. Her nine Final Four appearances rank as the fifth most all-time. All totaled, McGraw's teams have qualified for 26 NCAA tournaments, earning 67 tournament wins along the way. A four-time National Coach of the Year winner and seven-time Conference Coach of the Year, McGraw won 25 total combined conference regular season and tournament championships. She is one of just five coaches in NCAA Division I history with over 930 wins, nine Final Fours, and multiple NCAA championships. Since recently retired from coaching, Coach McGraw joined ACC Network as a basketball analyst, and just in March 2021, she joined the Women's Sports Foundation Board of Trustees. And now, let's get to my conversation with Coach McGraw. One of the things that really impresses me about you is how you started so early in sports. I mean, I just think about when I was your age, or I mean, I'm not that much younger than you are. I just don't remember sports being a thing, and for you to get into it, so early, it's just, I don't know, it's remarkable to me. You know, I had boys in the neighborhood, and that was pretty much all there was to do. So a little basketball, a little baseball. Yeah. It seems like women or girls with brothers have yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Who would have thought that the Catholic League priests would be ahead of the curve starting basketball for girls before Title IX? I, mean, I we know. started in the 60s. Holy cow. It's unprecedented. It's unheard of. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you're here because I was so upset with the whole NCAA basketball tournament weight room thing. And it's just going to be nice to talk about that. You know, I mean, the visuals of that tiny little barbell set just broke my heart. And, you know, it was just so dismissive and so openly publicly dismissive. That's a perfect word. You know, and it's, it's so much deeper than that. And when we look back 20 years, you know, women, we just, we just take what we're given. We make the best of it and we don't say a word. And probably back then we would have thanked them for giving us a few barbells. And now this generation is looking and saying, oh no, that's not nearly enough. We want equal. And then you started looking and you started talking about the food and then the courts and then, you know, everything else. And these are all important things for running the tournament, but it's symptoms of so much deeper sexism. This is the first time that I felt tired and sort of verbalized feeling tired. And I read that so many times from so many different people from, you know, on Twitter and whatnot. Does this feel different to you? You know, I, I felt the same way when I saw it I, and I tweeted something about it. And, and I just said, frankly, I'm just so tired of it. It's been going on for so long. I feel like we've been fighting this battle for 30 or 40 years. And Title IX came out to help us and it hasn't really gotten to that point yet. So I'm, I'm excited about this generation because I feel like, you know, we were kind of the pioneers when we started. We started out, we tried to fight for things. We've been fighting for things. And now this generation, they just have a whole different idea of what's acceptable. Do we have to continue fighting, you know, our generation? I think we do. I think we just need to support and encourage this generation because social media has changed everything, hasn't it? I mean, you look at pictures now, you're looking at video now. It's one thing to say, oh, the weight rooms weren't the same. But when you see the stark contrast, I think that's what's making the difference. So Donna Prince's video, TikTok video, was just fantastic. And when she's panned around and showed all the space, that was so great. <laughs> it was perfect. I mean, it really was. And I'm so happy that she had the courage to put that out. Yeah. How do we stick to the fight without losing hope? I mean, you talk about the new generation. Is it simply just passing the torch? I hope it is. I hope that we can just do that because they see things differently. They don't know the battles we fought. They don't know how hard we, we spent all the time and energy just to get here. So I, I think now it's time for them to pick up the mantle. I think there's so many women in the Women's Sports Foundation and different groups are trying to really get behind this movement. And I think that's what it is. I do think it is a little bit different this time. Since you've been so close to the next generation, are they ready to take the mantle? I mean, is it important that they understand the work that we've gone through? I mean, what's your perception of how, how ready they are and what kind of work do they need to do? Well, I don't know if they are familiar with our history. I, I think they would be shocked when they look back and they see what we had to go through back in the 70s, how we had to, you know, we, we didn't have practice clothes. We didn't have anybody buying our shoes. We were driving ourselves to games. We, we didn't have any of the luxuries that they have now. Per diem was an, an unknown thing for us. You know, I don't think we ever even stayed overnight anywhere. We only played local teams. So to see where we've come now, I think it's important for them to understand that but I also think that this is a generation that is incredibly active in not just social media, but with social justice. I think this is a group that you saw this summer with the Black Lives Matter movement. 
they are willing to get out and protest. And now I think they're seeing the same kind of energy behind this because it's the same thing. And I, I think I've seen a lot of men's teams come out and say, hey, we support the women too. I, I think it's men and women of this generation are really the ones that are going to change. I was really impressed that Steph Curry posted about the gym. He is somebody that's really into it. And there were so many guys in the NBA. You know, it started with Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. Everybody is trying to pick it up a little bit. You saw what they did for the W this summer. I mean, they were wearing the hoodies. They were supporting the women in the WNBA. And I think it's great to see that sorority fraternity of athletes getting together because that gives us a little more credibility. Frankly, you have a pro like Steph Curry come out and say something, you have LeBron James say something. People take notice. And I think it's really important that we have that support and men that are advocating for us. Last week, I taught a class and one of the girls in the class, A, she was reluctant to speak up, but when she did speak up, she talked about when she was a girl as a player in sports, she didn't get uniforms. And I was really surprised. That is shocking in this day that that would happen. I'm astounded at that. And that is another problem that you said she didn't want to speak up. And that is women, isn't it? I mean, we just sit back and wait. We raise our hand. We ask for permission. We are just waiting for everybody to give us what we deserve. We know we deserve it, but we're just not ready to fight for it. Yeah, I was sort of sorry to see that. And I guess that leads to a question just, I mean, I'm just so astounded by the pace of the change, the glacial pace of the change. And, you know, I don't want to get negative, but in a different class, somebody asked me, where are we now? And I just, it just makes me sad. I get so frustrated. You know, when I when I get frustrated, I look at the pro sports and I am so excited for what Adam Silver was doing in the NBA. He was really encouraging people to hire women. And I think we had nine assistant coaches at one point. We have a couple women in front offices. You look at the NFL Super Bowl last year. We had two women coaches and a female referee. Major League Baseball, first woman general manager down in Tampa. So I think we're making big strides. Hockey even has hired a skating coach. But when you have football coaches looking at hiring women, that is, to me, one of the, one of the best statements that we could make. So I, I, I'm excited for the future. I think the pro sports have really taken a, a lead in this. Yeah, I, I, I did like seeing that. What could the NCAA take on to support its female athletes? I mean, are there things that you have in mind that most of us probably haven't thought of yet? Well, I think a big thing is the structure. The NCAA is, is not structured and the leadership, I think, has some work to do. The women's basketball VP reports to the men's basketball VP, which makes absolutely no sense, right? No, no sense. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know how that can possibly be a good thing. And this year, especially when both tournaments were side by side, exactly the same, you saw the differences. And the problem was there was nobody overseeing. Nobody was saying, hey, what are you doing with the men? Well, let's do that with the women. What, is, what are the women doing? Let's try that with the men. Everybody's in their own silo and acting on their own, doing their own thing, not sharing information. And I think that's a huge problem. But the thing that really bothers me is how for men's basketball, it's not the men's basketball tournament, it's the NCAA tournament. It's the women's basketball tournament. And I yeah. feel like if we could just get them to say, this is the men's tournament, this is the women's tournament, that would be a really good start. And it's not going to cost them a penny. Yeah, I, I was really thrilled that the New York Times started to do that just this yes. past season. The structure of the men's and the women's side of the NCAA, I mean, how has that remained in place? I mean, like, why are we still talking? I mean, it just seems like that's an easy thing to change and sort of an obvious thing to change. 
It does, doesn't it? And I think, again, it comes back to the leadership. I think if you're, if you're accepting of this, you're the one that put it in play. So obviously, the president of the NCA must think that's a good way to run a business when clearly it is not. Right, right. Another thing that I've been thinking a lot about during all this discussion about the issues and also, you know, like when I talk to my guests about issues is, are the issues distracting us from the sports? You know, we wondered about that because we had a great tournament. I mean, the parody on the women's side is finally here. We had so many great games. The attendance, of course, wasn't, you know, allowed to be any better than it's been. But we did on ESPN set some great marks for ratings. We were way above of the past few years. People were watching. People were interested. Even back into the Sweet 16, the round of Sweet 16, we had really, really great games. We had terrific games in the Final Four. So interest is up. I think we do a poor job of marketing and promoting the women's tournament. All of the sponsorship that signs on for the men also sign on for the women, but they don't activate for the women because no Mm. one's asking them to. So I I think there's a lot of work to be done there too. You know, my only experience with the March tournaments is the MAC tournaments in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And when I went, of course, you know, the women's games were at 11 o'clock and none of the fancy concession stands were open. And I thought, you know, like how and they're going to tell me that they don't do better because, you know, they're not there's not a bigger audience. I thought, who can come to this? Oh, I know. That is so frustrating. And and that happens all the way down to high schools and colleges. You know, you, you have the girls playing, you know, Wednesday afternoon. The boys are playing Friday night. And right. no wonder they get more people to the games. It's just there's so many things that just kind of the perception and the optics look bad, but nobody's nobody's trying to change it. I had no idea what I was getting into when I started the podcast and it became clear right away that it was such an intricate web <laughs> of stuff, <laughs> which has been exciting in a way. So let's move forward. You recently joined the Women's Sports Foundation. So, you know, and now what? You know, like, what are you going to be tackling? Well, I'm on the advocacy subcommittee, which I love. So all of this NCA inequities, that is all right in our committee. So I'm excited about that. And I just love the the women on the committees. They're just, there's some powerful women. There's a lot of women that have been through all this. You know, there's women my age that can look back and have some of the same experiences and we're still fighting those same battles, but they have some power. They have the ability to really reach out and galvanize a certain segment of the population. And, you know, we're really hoping that we can jump on the bandwagon here and help the WBCA, which is a coaches association, and help all these others. Because now you're seeing the same thing in volleyball and lacrosse and all the other sports are now going, hey, wait a minute, we want equality too. So from the Women's Sports Foundation perspective, we can look at all of the sports and really try to make a difference. I love how the Women's Sports Foundation does have that overview and is able to see, okay, you know, hockey's doing this and soccer's doing this. And, you know, like this is sort of a groundswell of activism. So let's bring it together. And, you know, I'm convinced that all those sports that started doing that work had input from the Women's Sports Foundation and were able to talk to one another. I think that's really exciting. Well, when you have Billie Jean King at the head of the organization, you know that she's a mover and a shaker and what she yes. did for women's tennis. That, And I think we all look at that and say, help us do that, you know, for basketball and, and volleyball and soccer and all the other sports. But the national team in soccer, they're really doing a lot of great things, trying to really promote women and equality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine Billie Jean King putting all that together when she did. Oh, I know. I thought, that was astounding. The whole, her story. It's just amazing. The courage that she had, the risk that she had to take, 
and the influence she had to get the rest of women's tennis on her side. What an amazing story. And she was doing that all the time when she was playing. And so she did have a big risk to take. Huge risk. And then, of course, the big match with Bobby Riggs. I mean, that that could have been a, a real blow to the whole women's tennis had she lost that match. So I think that that was something that also just really sparked a lot of interest. Yeah, I read her book and I really liked that she was well aware that she had to win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No pressure. Right. No pressure. Um, I like also that you mentioned all the strong women on the board, because that's one thing that I've been really excited about is, you know, as women athletes sort of graduate out of their sport and have earned some money, they're now sort of plugging money back in and power back into the sports scene. And I think that's going to make a huge difference. It does make a big difference. And, you know, one of the problems that we were talking about with this whole thing with the NCAA is that we need somebody that has the history because the NCAA would come out and say, well, well, you never asked to use the March Magnus Lodo. You never used to ask this question or that question. And these women are saying, oh, no, we asked that 30 years ago. We asked that 20 years ago. So having kind of that institutional history is really important so that we know that these are some things that we've been trying to fight for years. So when the law firm who's doing the study on the NCA comes out, we'll have a lot of good information. You may have answered this already, but do you, like, is there something really particular that you have in your mind that you want to accomplish while you're on the Women's Sports Foundation board? You know, I, I think the biggest thing I want to accomplish is just, I want to see women leading as normal. I want to go out to a five and six-year-old soccer games and there's, you know, teams all over the field and half of them are coached by moms instead of dads. I, I want this to look into high school and see women coaching women. And we're never going to get to that point where leadership is acceptable as, and people think of women as leaders unless they see it. So when they start to see it growing up like that, that's a, a big part of it. When they turn on the TV and the movies and things and they see women, you know, in a leading role, I think then they they see it. And same thing in politics, having a female vice president. Awesome, right? Like like we're one step closer to the White House. So I think it's a lot of it is perception and stereotypes. I mean, you go into the store and you go down the toy aisle, you're still seeing pinks over here and blues <laughs> over here. And like, when are we gonna change that? It's interesting and exciting, actually, that all of these social issues, you know, like all these issues can be looked at and addressed through sports. Oh, they really can. I, I think we are a kind of a microcosm of society. We can show people this is how it can be done. And you look at now at the diversity, the inclusion, the, the just bringing all these disparate people together to form a team. And then, you know, they're on TV and people can watch and see how they interact, see how they come together and, you know, with a common goal. And it's so important to know that we could do that too. I was really struck when I realized that something like 90% or maybe even it's 96% of C-suite women did sports in school. Mm -hmm. It's just stunning. It is. And, you know, I, I read something like that too. And, and a lot of them were captains of their yeah, team. Uh, interesting. And of course, because sports teaches you so many great life lessons, but building confidence, teamwork, leadership having to work hard and accomplish something together. I think there's so many things you can learn from sports. I think every young girl should play some sport at some point. As I mentioned, today's guest, Coach McGraw, recently came out with a new book called Expect More. 
It is an absolute must read for all women, although I do think particularly about how terrific it would be for teens and young women starting their careers. Buy it from our bookshop page, from the guest recommended book list at hearhersports.com books. Ordering from Bookshop is such a super easy and absolutely pleasant experience. Plus, anytime you make a purchase from our Bookshop page, you are supporting the podcast. So thank you so very much for that. The podcast takes time, and it also takes money for hosting, recording, and other tech needs. Thank you for listening and for keeping us going. Find us at hearhersports.com books. Well, let's talk a little bit about your new book, Expect War. It's really terrific. What did you want people to get out of that? Well, you know, it's funny. People ask me how I came up with the title. And I said, because women don't. We never expect more, right? We always are the ones that are the good sport. You know, we'll take what we get. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out. And this is about women, especially from my perspective as a coach and looking at these talented young women coming up and thinking, this is a time when you need to learn to use your voice. I've read something that women lose their confidence around age 11, and it doesn't really come back till they're in their 20s. So trying to get them to understand how important it is to use their voice in the community to, to do things and to, it's okay for women to be confident and have a swagger. And that is something that's not really a feminine trait, right? To have a swagger, to believe in yourself, to be outwardly promoting your team and yourself, because we're supposed to be humble. And we're right. supposed to be team players. It's like fight for yourself, but don't fight too loudly because, you know, <laughs> we don't want to upset anybody. And, you know, I, I read that men ask for a raise four times as often as women. And we never ask for as much. And we, we just we never seem to have the ability to go in there and do what the guys just they're, they're just so much more confident. They network better. They do so many things that we can learn from. I like that you talked about how a lot of your players came to Notre Dame unconfident. And you sort of were like, you know, you're here at Notre Dame, you're on the basketball team, one of the best basketball teams in the country, and you're not confident? And it's pretty hard school to get into. Right? You know? So you're smart, and you're talented. And they I mean, they're just really exceptional people. And so that is something that I really struggle with early in my career, because I didn't get it. I mean, I just wanted to kind of slap them and say, like, what do you mean? Snap out of it. You should be confident. And then I realized, I had to help build them up. But of course, it starts within. You have to have confidence in yourself. And you get that through practice. And then you have a little success. And then you fail. And you have to learn how to handle failure, which women are terrible at, because we just ruminate about it. We're so sensitive about it. And we need to be able to put it in the rearview mirror and say, oh, I learned a, a valuable lesson there. And now next time, I'm not going to make that mistake. And so I can move on. It's interesting, though, by college, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of I don't know, back knowledge or back bad self-talk or something. You're having to make up for all that. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that parents do that can really hurt their kids that they don't even know. And one of them is how they don't let them handle adversity. They don't let them fight through tough times. They try to fix everything for them. So having that mental toughness, that's a great skill that you learn playing sports because you go through injuries and you go through losses and you go through just hard times when you're in a slump and you're not playing well. And, and just, you have so many questions and so many things going on in your head. And parents are like, oh, well, let's, let's transfer then. Let's go somewhere else. Or, or let me talk to the coach. I'll fix this for you. And so not learning how to battle through some of those things that you should have learned on the playground, you know, back <laughs> when you're in grade school. 
but nobody goes to the playground anymore. So it, it's really, it's difficult for them to learn that. And it's hard as a parent. You don't want to see your kids suffer. You want to fix it for them, but letting them fight it out is so important. One of the sections of your book, Expect More, that I particularly love is the help to advance other women. And, you know, I've noticed that producing the podcast, that a lot of women are not great at this. They're not great at networking and helping other women out. We are terrible at networking, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say that, but yes. (laughs) Well, I found it so interesting because I have guys on my staff and of course I have women on my staff. And when the guys were applying for jobs, they went right to the men's basketball coach, to the AD. They went to a guy that they knew who maybe knew a guy who could help them here and there. And I mean, they're stretching their nets so far, resumes ready to send. And the women would come to me and say, would you be able to write a reference for me? Like that's, I'm just asking you, I don't, you know, I I don't, if you're okay with it. It was, it was so amazing how different it was. And I thought, how is this possible? We, we really, we need to learn how to network, but I think we're also so competitive. And sometimes there is a little bit of, well, we need to take a woman. So we're going to take one and put her here at the table. And so we're so competitive trying to get that one seat that we don't take the time to help. And that's what, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is like my hero. And, you know, she said like, you know, one person opens the door, you got to leave it open and you got to reach back and pull some other women through. Yeah, we are still dealing with that one seat and having to fight for that one seat. Or or I'm not even sure if it really is a one seat. It's like this perception that it, there's a one seat. You know, and, and it's kind of like, well, tell me about what the women think about this. You know, you're like, you know, <laughs> you know we're all different. <laughs> yeah. This may be more of a philosophical question, and you've already addressed it a little bit, but you talk and write a lot about the traits of women that you've noticed in your coaching career, you know, needing to build more confidence or swagger, you know, sensitivity to criticism, needing to be like, not networking like the men do, and on and on. And I've noticed and spoken about that in relation to the podcast, but I also worry about making those generalizations because I don't want to stick those characteristics to women because I think they're nurture or socialization. And I know that a lot of people think that they're intrinsic and I don't want to like give them like more fodder for that thought. Yeah. Oh, I definitely think we're, we're, uh, we're conditioned, we're raised, society does it to us, you know, right, right from the moment of birth, you know, you, you get your pink or your blue and you, you get those kind of toys and clothes and colors. And then I think with girls, it's always like, oh, she's so pretty. Oh, she's so cute. And you never hear people saying, oh, she's so smart. Like that's, that's, that's the trait I want to have in my daughter. I want her to be smart. I want her to be strong. I want her to be brave. But we don't talk about women that way. And I think really, we have to change absolutely everything about how we raise our kids. And I don't know if you read We Should All Be Feminists by Chimamanda Adichie. And I made my team read the book, you know, and I said, okay, who's, who's a feminist here? And like two people raised their hand. And I said, feminism is like equal for women. Like, that's what we mean. We, we want to have equal. And they were like, oh, well, in that case, then I guess I am a feminist. But it's got like a negative connotation. And it's, there's just so many things that we're still fighting, fighting for that I'm not sure when we're going to get there. Why do you think it's important to point out those traits or sort of mark that they're different than the men? Well, I think in order for us to compete and to get to that place, because you know these women, they they want to be CEOs and they they want to be in business and they want to be out in the workforce doing things and changing the world. And you can't do it if you're too sensitive or if you're risk averse and you, you oh you made a mistake, so now you're gonna like fall back and not ever take a risk again. So I think it's important that we kind of change the narrative and talk to them about 
things like that. And we used to put things on our mirror in the locker room. I am strong. I'm confident. I'm resilient. I am determined, you know, and, and those kind of things, because people still talk about how they look and what, you know, what they're wearing and, and so many things, you know, they're treated differently. The referees treat the coaches differently. The the fans talk about the players differently. Uh, you look in the WNBA or, you know, I, I saw somebody saying like, I could return Serena Williams serve. That, no problem. <laughs> you know, some guy that never played tennis. And like, that's the kind of stuff we, we're still putting up with, which right. is even more frustrating. Did you, I mean, like what percentage success did you have in increasing the confidence of, you know, the freshmen that came in to the time that they left as seniors? You know, I, I've, I really worked on it. I, I think I think we did a pretty good job as a staff to really address that. And I think there's so many things you can do to help them. And, and one of the big things I like to do is just ask their opinion and just know, like, your answer matters to me. I'm, I'm really, I'm listening. What do you really think about this? Because, you know, sometimes people, are, they never ask. They just assume that, you know, you're going to go along with it or whatever. And I always want to know what they're thinking, what's important to you. But look at this from a perspective of this. We're watching the film. Tell me what you think could happen right here. And so I, I think that having them use their voice just at practice, I think that really helps. I bet. I mean, especially given my experience with teaching those two classes recently and not having the women say anything was really interesting. I'm really cognizant of that when I'm in class because I've read stuff where the teacher, you know, answered a men. Oh yeah. Let's ask that guy. Okay. You answer, you answer. And they never ask the women sometimes. So I am always bringing in women speakers that I'm, I'm calling on the women in class and seeing what their opinion is, even if they don't raise their hand. Have you seen a difference in your players from when you started coaching to when you left? Oh, I think a big difference. And, and I think a lot of it was my leadership style. You know, when, when I first started, it was like, this is my way or the highway. This is the bus. Get on it. I'll tell you where we're going. I'll tell you how we're going to get there. And you're going to do exactly as I say. And, you know, it, we didn't have that connection. That, like, that's how it was back then. That was how coaching was. You just did what you were told. And then as the generations changed and they wanted a more personal relationship, with their coaches, things started to change. And I, and I had to change with it. I had to change my leadership style. I had to be a lot more democratic than I ever used to be. And I found that I really enjoyed it. I, I couldn't really get mad at them when I would talk to them and we'd go to lunch and they'd say, oh my gosh, this is what's going on in my life. And I'd say, oh, no wonder you're not playing well right now. And now I understand. And so I think it turned more relational because when I started coaching, it was like 90% was X and O's. Like, offense and defense, let's run this play. And now 90% of coaching and really leading is relationships. Like what traits have you noticed and been particularly happy to see in your most recent uh, players, the high schoolers that you're looking at? You know, for me, accountability is so important because it is so easy to blame. It's so easy to oh, the referee made a bad call or the coach didn't do this or, you know, it wasn't my fault. I mean, they're so ready to say it wasn't my fault. And that is something that I really believe in. So I'm really big on teaching them how to be accountable, how to look in the mirror. There's always something better that you could have done. And then the unselfishness, I think, is really easy for women. I think we're just generally team players. You know, we, we are good collaborators. We work well together. But having some trust and some honesty because if you are on a championship team, you need to have a culture where conflict is going to happen and it's going to be okay. And that is something that girls are not good at. Nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings. 
And so you have to really build up that trust to be able to hold your teammates accountable for things. And that's, that's a tough thing for women. Yeah, it is. I, I think it's interesting that you can teach it. Well, it's not easy. And I don't, I'm not sure it always gets across, but you know, we, we do personality tests to find out like, what is she really like? And, you know, and then we can kind of joke about it and say, oh, that's your sensitive blue side coming out right now. So think about that a little differently, you know, and, and it's a little bit easier to work with them. I'm not exactly sure how to ask this question, but I've been thinking a lot about competitiveness and aggression in women in sports. And I think why I'm thinking about it is sort of, you know, I think there's common preconceptions of what those two things look like for women. And I'm not always sure that that's the reality. And I just would love to hear what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, I've been competitive my whole life. I mean, I always wanted to win. I just, I was a poor loser. I never won a sportsmanship award. I mean, I was <laughs> just like, I want to win. And that's all I cared about. And, you know, I've, I've learned a little bit since then. But the aggressive part, like, I think, I think that is tougher for women. So when you watch them on the court and we have a lot of women that they kind of hold themselves back, you know, and trying to get them to really just go all out. And, and then when you see somebody that does, that's the, the secret, I think, is having that be contagious, you know, getting someone who like a Skylar Diggins who came to Notre Dame and changed everything because she was just so competitive. And it kind of raised the level of competitiveness. But I, I was constantly saying like, it's okay. It's okay to compete. You know what? We're going to throw away the whistles and you guys just battle it out. Let's, let's see how that goes. And that that was hard for some of them. Some of them loved it, but it was hard for some other ones. I mean, we talk about women traits. I mean, women aren't supposed to be mad either. Oh, I know. We're not allowed to get angry. I remember Condoleezza Rice came by. She's a Notre Dame grad, and I had her talk to my team, and, and I asked her that. I said, you know, women, like, we're not allowed to be angry. She, she said, well, she was Secretary of State during 9-11. She said, I was, I was pretty angry. And I think, uh, <laughs> I think that was okay. And, and I said, yeah, but we're emotional. And you know, we're, we're losing it. And, you know, we're hysterical where I see these men on the sideline. I'm going, no, they're emotional and they're hysterical and they're losing it, but we're, we're just cast in a different light. Yeah. I mean, and that's the problem. There are in fact, real negative consequences sometimes for women to get mad. Yeah. You look at when, when they draw the, I saw a cartoon with uh, Serena and she yelled at the referee and I thought, justifiably so. And I, I didn't even think she was yelling that loud. And then the very same day, uh, the New York Yankees manager was spitting in the face of the umpire and, you know, kicking dirt. And it says like, oh, this guy's fighting for his team. And Serena's hysterical. <laughs> right. Did you get into trouble as an aggressive, competitive girl? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I skirted the edge there. I think I was right on the edge a lot. I didn't get a lot of technical fouls. So that was probably a good thing. Sort of on that same line, I'm surprised that here we are in 2021 and we're still seeing sports where women aren't allowed to compete in certain events because they're deemed incapable or their bodies are deemed incapable. Well, we've, 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 we've come a long way uh, <laughs> since playing six on six basketball where, you know, two people couldn't even cross half court to a better game. But I look at men's and women's lacrosse and it's like two different sports. You know, I mean, it's helmets and uh, mouth guards on the men's side and the women, you know, they wear goggles. That's, that's about it. It's, it's more ladylike. And I think that that's something that we, we would like to change too. Just looking at how many yellow cards are handed out. And I always think that's a good thing. I'm like, yeah, keep being aggressive. Well, that gets back to our perception discussion. Yeah. 
another thing that I really liked, and I think it was in both of your books, you talked about team dynamics. And, you know, I come from a cycling background where it's very much a team sport, but unlike basketball, only one person crosses the line first and wins. And so it's hard often to get, I don't know, it's hard often to get the team to work as a unit. I just think it's so important. And I even saw that a long time ago when I was racing about getting the support riders to understand just how incredibly valuable they were and also having the stars feel the same way and and express that thankfully gratefully well you hit that exactly right and that is that is paramount in the leader's job and we talk about everybody has a role to play everybody doesn't get to be the hero at the end you know everybody's not going to be the leading scorer but everybody's job is important And we go around and tell each player on the team, these are the three things I need from you. And we do it in front of everybody on the team. So not just you know what your role is, but everybody else knows exactly what your role is. And, you know, I talk to them about it. I say, if you don't like your role, if you want a bigger role, that's what we do in the summer. We work to improve on this and that. But if you're on the bench, you better be the first one up at the timeout cheering and and high-fiving and letting these guys know that you're there. And then same thing, if we're up big and I put the starters on the bench and the subs come in, you better be up cheering for them. So, I mean, to build that up and to also have their teammates say, you know, you guys work so hard at practice. That's why we won the game because you did a great job with the scouting, the scout team, and, and you did exactly what they were going to do. It made it easy for us. But you, you as a leader, I think you have to really encourage that. Do you have trouble getting people to buy into that? You know, not really. I think everybody wants to win. Um, They want to win a national championship. They want to get to the final four. And the thing is, like, I want you to be an All-American. In order for you to be an All-American, we got to win as a team. So you can't just go out there and be all on your own. You need to do something else. You need to have the team behind you. Because if if you don't win and you score, you know, 25 points a game, you're not going to be an All-American because the All-Americans are the ones that get to the final four. So we we really try to tell them, this is what you need to do in order for us to be successful. And yeah, you're going to take more shots. You're going to get to be the hero at the end. But all that is because this is what we need for the team. And you think that comes from you, basically? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think everybody would like to be the one that takes all the shots. (laughs) You know, (laughs) a little self-awareness never hurt. Right. Well, to wrap things up with the next generation, how can we make sports for girls the best that it can possibly be? Well, I think like we talked about earlier, I think seeing more women coaching, especially those moms, you know, getting them out when kids are young. I had so many girls come to Notre Dame who never played for a female coach in their entire life in all different sports. So I think that's the first thing is changing the perspective. I think we're doing a pretty good job of, you know, it's pretty acceptable now. You know, back when I was playing, it was it was not the most acceptable thing. Me and nine guys down at the playground. That was not something that girls really were supposed to do. So I think we've got over that hurdle. I think people see that it is really, it's important for women to compete in sports and to be team players. Um, so I, I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just really building the confidence so that we help each other, you know, and we support each other. And when women's soccer is going through something, like all the other sports need to be on the bandwagon too. And then we need men, you know, we need men to to advocate for us too. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the youth sports, I mean, you're just saying moms need to get out there. Yes. And you know, what's funny, most of them play in high school or college. So they, (laughs) they probably know more than the dad does. Well, my sister just told me a story of a dad who's coaching and he's never 
played soccer. So it can be done even <laughs> without it. <laughs> they just have that comp. They're like, I know I can do it. I, I used to have guys apply for assistant coaching jobs who coached fifth and sixth grade CYO and thought they were just absolutely the best person for the job. <laughs> and what are you doing physically these days? You know, I got to get out and walk. I will run. I try to get out, get a lot of exercise, get some, uh, especially during this pandemic. Oh my gosh, trying to, to stay in some kind of shape without gaining 10 pounds has really been tough, but I'm, I'm loving teaching. I'm really enjoying my work and uh, yeah, can't wait to get started again. Cool. Is there anything that we missed that I should ask you? Gosh, I thought you did a great job of hitting pretty much everything that I, I could have thought of. Well, thank you. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's a great conversation. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that you're very busy, so it means a lot. Well, I really enjoyed it. That's it for this week. Check out the show notes for links to things we discussed, including a link to the Women's Sports Foundation, an important organization leading the way in women's gender equity. I've also included the link to Coach's viral response during the 2019 Women's Final Four press conference. We would love for you to join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash hearhersports. For only $5 a month, you will receive special Patreon-only content. And as they say, that's less than the cost of a latte. Supporting non-mainstream media outlets working to improve the coverage of women's sports has a big impact, so we thank you. You can also support the pod by buying books through our bookshop page at hearhersports.com slash books. Muffet McGraw's Expect More is a great place to start. So you never miss an episode, subscribe for free to Hear Her Sports on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While 44% of athletes are women, only 4% of the media coverage is about women. Hear Her Sports aims to shift the scale while inspiring women to be their best. This is Elizabeth Emery for Hear Her Sports. Until next time, bye-bye. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.